To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know the voice. It's your boy Rook. Joining me, not only is it Don Moore, but yes, reunited because it feels so good. What's up? It's Don and Dallas. DD. <laughs> What's up? What's up, people of Earth? What's going on? And, and we're in person, which is really nice, but we're not used to it. Yeah, it's... I know. I know. This is kind of crazy sitting around the table together. First time in quite a long time. At Rook's classic underground hideout that we used to come yeah. out. Lair. Yeah. His underground lair. My mess. My mess as it is oh, at the cool. moment. And I'm going to have to say, when I got here, Rook, we had time. This is... Um, the town he lives in, we're having a, I forgot the name of it again. It's an Upcycle Festival. Upcycle Festival, which I had no idea. Sure, I'll go. It was really, really neat. So I think that's that's the best part of us being able to do this together in person is we get to hang out a little bit too beforehand. Mm-hmm. We went to the, the, the Upcycle, we went out to lunch, and it was a lot of fun just catching up on fun stuff that probably should have been on the podcast. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, we've been chatting since since we first met up downtown, but yeah, there's so much stuff to talk about. Probably not all we're going to be able to get into one episode, yeah. so we're probably going to be doing a twofer. That'll but, be fine. Guys... We've both we've all got books in front of us. All right, we I, all have something to talk about. I, if you don't mind, I would like to go first because I got something that's been burning a hole in my pocket, and I've had this thing for a year, waiting till we're all in person. Um, just to set this up for a minute, this is back in 1987. I used to get Comics Journal. I don't know where I'd seen this. I was trying to find a magazine, but I used to get Fantagraphics had a really nice magazine called Nemo Library Comics. And um, they would publish old comic strips. You know, Little Nemo was one. They had um, the Teeny Weenies was in it, which I just read about. I've never seen them. This is way before my time. Uh, the Q piece by Rose O'Neill. And they had one that it looked pretty pathetic, and it was called White Boy. And it was a kid in a coonskin cap and a white sweater, and he was with Indians. And these are black and white prints, and... Really impressionistic, really simple. Um, I'm working in a graphics facility, and me and two other guys are doing a comic book. And I kind of pointed it out, and one of the other guys, yeah, it doesn't really look much, does it? Saying that, I sat there and read those strips, and they sucked me in completely. Uh, I couldn't quite figure out because it was just part of a strip. But the guy, the cartoonist, was Garrett Price. Garrett Price is really famous for doing uh, magazines for, um, I think he was one of the New Yorker cover artists and illustrators. But he had this strip way back and in a Smithsonian book of newspaper comics. They had a color page. Completely different color. because It's like a, a Van Gogh painting to me in a way. Anyway, I lived these strips. I tried to draw them. You know, um, I just thought they're great. I wish I could have a collection. Holy crap, look at the size of that thing. Oh, this is great audio. Uh, well, it'll be on the blog. 
Damn, that is nice. That looks Dude, glorious, Dude, that too. thing is enormous. So, so we're looking at this hardcover that Don's got, and uh, this gotta, thing has to be this. 18 inches wide and probably, you know, 10 inches tall. Like, this is... Yeah, this no. thing. This thing is so this thing was, coffee book. Was far or more money than table. I was going to pay because I was biting it, chomping at the bit for it. I like how it's laid out. I like the graphics, and like I said, I really love this strip. And I thought it'd be nice that Garrett Price's work for the magazines. And he uh, was a unique artist. Any kind of historical compendium, I think we're all kind of uh, uh, yeah. um, marks for that, right? Like we all love right. this kind of stuff. I think our shelves are full of like these big oh, hardcovers yeah. of of these kind of books and it's so neat to see this stuff from the turn of the century and all this artwork and kind of a lot of context behind right. the artwork too well where i worked at we had a xerox machine so everybody there would see something a magazine newspaper and they'd, they'd xerox it and hang it up in their cube or under drafting table uh white boy panels and and even pages were appearing on other people's stuff Oh, wow, what is that? There's that's like just a, a whole... story. Yeah, it... Oh, there's yeah, there's okay. a couple insert pieces. The here. one insert is just advertisements for other books oh, by this other guy. Other books. You yeah. mean Little Nemo and Slumberland? Yeah. Freaking Walton Sneezes? Crazy Crat? Crazy but, uh, Cat? The other one, Rook's wow. Holding, is actually how some newspapers. This is a horizontal book, but they could reformat the pages as they've done in the 80s and 90s where they could reformat it vertically. So they had an insert showing that. But um, anyway. The book was far more than I was ever going to pay, and I thought, well, I'm not going to get it, and I was chomping the bit, and all of a sudden it appeared on Facebook, and it was a third of the price, which is still a lot of money, but I said, I really want this, and I got it, and the, what the synopsis is, there was a, a group of American, white American settlers, and, you know, it's in history, you always know what happened with uh, the indigenous people here. There's a lot of fighting and this and that, but it was a tide that wasn't going to turn. But at this point, the Indians beat them, beat them back, the tribe. And they took White Boy in as uh, a capture. But he had free reign. Um, so it's just kind of like his shenanigans with the tribe? Well, somewhat. He's basically a show... I didn't realize this when I was reading a few panels, but there's... I can't remember the girl's name, but I absolutely love that girl. But she was kind of fascinated when she said a white boy. They kind of become friends. Uh, Moonstar or something like that is her name. But she's lovely. Um, there was another character in the book. There weren't the pages I'd seen before, but he was kind of the top dog of the kids. And um, he was kind of, a, it seemed to me like they were set up to be a rival between him and, and the new new coming white boy. And there was an overweight character, which is kind of comic relief that's with him. But I kind of see what it is. The boys were kind of treating him like he's um, he's a captive, whereas the girl is just treating him like another, another friend, another companion. Anyway, it was neat. It's showing how he's coming. It shows him meeting with adults and how they did things. Because he's not treated as a, a captive or a slave. He's just another member of the tribe, a new member. But here's what gets me about this. They told a story. I guess it wasn't doing really well. And it wasn't in a lot of papers. It wasn't doing really well. And then they, um, they changed the strip. <laughs> It went from a white boy to a white boy of Skull Valley. And this is halfway through this book, and what got me was all the characters are gone. The girl's gone, the tribe, 
and it's in modern times. Really? And I'm like, and that, I'll be honest with you, yeah, that really hurt. <laughs> I was really investing in these characters. I felt like like your <laughs> whole family just never existed all of a sudden. It's a reboot? Yeah, well, that's what happened. It wasn't, the strip wasn't doing well, so he thought, I'll try this. Okay. And then, um... So it, it erases all of, of the Native American characters. Right. And just puts it... Well, that's kind of a, you know, apropos for American yeah, history. Yeah, that sounds about right. That hurts. At but, least they yeah. didn't kill off all the characters. But, um, it was just... And I, I'm forgetting this because I've had this book for a year now, but I'm not... I think it was just... Yeah, it was abrupt. It was just... They didn't announce it. It just changed. And, uh... It's weird to see when, like, yeah, an outside... You can, you can see such a dramatic difference in, uh, opening towards the back of the book right. than you can from the front of the book uh, with the characters. I mean... You know, you've got an all-white cast. You've got, yeah. you know. I wonder how that was received at the time. If there was, uh, uh, for the fans that were reading it, right. invested in it, if there was any type of announcement, or if they knew that was coming, no, or if they, they just kind of apropos of nothing. I don't think anybody knew narrative, right? And then he changed it a third time about how you know the the first half of the book is the strip that I fell in love with. The second half of the book basically divided maybe into two halves. I don't know which one ran longer, but the other one was um. He went from white boy to being called Bob White, and he works at a dude ranch. Hmm. And uh, when I say in modern times, I'm talking modern times. When at it was the time, yeah. at the time that it was being. So, so what was done. this? The 40s? Did you say? I'm not sure if it was the 40s or. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. I thought I saw. But I saw it here somewhere. It, it is somewhere in there. I, yeah, I'm, we like can I Google said, it, but we're too late. Yeah, it'll be on the blog. But again, it was a strip I love, but. Oh. Half, Look at this beautiful watercolor on the first yeah. page here. Uh, watercolor, 1949. Okay. Yeah, okay. So it was around, around it was after World War II. Um, you got to understand, a lot of the United States was rural rural areas. And um, you didn't always see newspapers. The newspaper my grandparents got when I was a kid, and I, I've been to some of my other friends' grandparents in parts of Texas and Oklahoma, and it's a small rural paper. And it was weird because they had some of the same strips we had. They had strips I never heard of. And it just seemed like a, a rural newspaper. You know, a different kind of thought process than you see in the New York. Basically now everything comes out from either the New York Times, the Miami Herald, or, you know, one of those. They basically just print everything in one. But the readership was low he tried to save the strip and he did that three times and i just find that unbelievably unnerving um you know like i said when you read something you get really invested in it and you really care for the characters and it was interesting how he's building and growing and then the rugs pulled out from under you and the only one that's left is by his white boy <laughs> yeah and then the dude ranch thing i thought well this is even worse um but when I was reading the thing, they were basically saying that it never helped the strip. It just went lower and lower and lower. So, but Garrett Price actually was a really successful um, creator, you know, but not with a newspaper strip. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's some beautiful work. Um, I definitely can tell you just by quickly looking through it, I prefer the beginning of the book to yeah. the back. Uh, I, I think the artwork, honestly, is stronger 
in the beginning of the book than in the back. Oh yeah, the, it yeah. just kind of seems to fall apart towards the back. It of the seems book. pretty bold, uh, bold colors and lines, thick lines, almost a less is more kind of um, style in the first half of the book. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. and, and then it, it just seems out, too much, like all this stuff jammed in towards the back of the book of clutter. and everything. Yeah. And when you when you look at some of the drawings towards the later portion of it, of other than white people, <laughs> yeah. they look like caricatures. Yeah, it's racist. They don't, yeah. Yeah, 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 they yeah. look like racist caricatures. Right. Um, and unfortunately, I think that might be part of the history of the time, um, which is very unfortunate. But the beginning of the book looks quite nice, yeah. really. Well, that's one thing I think that, I don't know if that was his detriment, but you didn't see, I mean, even in my lifetime, Dances of War. Well, there was another movie when I was in college called Windwalker, and it was that was the only movie I ever knew of. And the newspapers would talk about it. It was actually about Indians. It wasn't cowboys and Indians. It was about the Indian people. Trevor Trevor Howard was the main character, and he's not Indian, but you know, Dances of Wolves came out, mm-hmm. and that was that was a major one because that one showed. And um, I I have Cherokee ancestry. And one of my aunts, she was registered, um, when I was in my 30s, she was in her 70s. And she lived in Louisiana. And so when we go back home to Texas, I'd stop, you know, see her. And I called her in Louisiana. We pulled over, and I could see this sign on the road. And I just called on a payphone, how long ago this was. And I said, well, I think we're getting close. I said, I'm looking at this sign. You know those green signs that says, you know, Pascal, 15 miles or something? Mm-hmm. This said, It was like, you know, six times as long as a normal sign. And it said 16 miles. And I said, I'm looking at the signs at 16 miles. And I tried to say it like I just did. because oh, nautiches. How do you get nautiches out of this 60,000 60, letter word? Just well, it's the same thing down here. I mean, any <laughs> anybody who grew up down here in Florida, you know, like with a Lacucci, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, uh, you know, all these all these different different native uh, words that are named that are used to name different areas down here. I, uh, but my favorite, my favorite of all, is the simplicity of Ebor. <laughs> yeah, you, get, you, you get you get people coming down here from up north and they're like hey do you know how to get to Wybor City I don't know why I'm doing it with a southern accent because southerners <laughs> know how to, how to pronounce it but you know you get these people like I'm looking for Wybor City it's like never heard of it meanwhile I'm standing on 7th Avenue <laughs> yeah. I, I never when I came here I was the same way I didn't know that it was E um, what was that uh, game High Lie? We used to have that in Tampa. High Lie, yeah. And I thought it was Jaw Ollie. You know, when I was in <laughs> California, Bugs Bunny would say that on those cartoons when he'd be tunneling through and he'd come up and says, "You know, I'm, I, I must have passed La Jolla. Well, it's La Jolla. Yeah. You know, and there was El Cajon out out by San Diego, and we call it El Cajun. I didn't know, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, I, you know, we went to her place. And uh, it visited. Then we went back to Oklahoma. Then I came back on the way home, and she cut out a newspaper um, thing for me, and it was some Indian pronunciations. And uh, it basically told um, the origins. She says, "Well, I saw this paper and thought of you. Nottages, or what another tribe called them, they were nut eaters. So that's what they call nottages. And you know, it had different stuff, and it was interesting. And then she told me." Because of Kevin Costner, people 
are now proud if they have any kind of Indian ancestry and they're looking for Indian ancestry and they're trying to, you know, and if they do think they have it, they're proud of it. But so that wasn't the case when I was, they had her and her two sisters, my other two aunts, registered as Native American because the school got more money. And she said, if they found out you had any kind of Indian blood, you were treated as, you know, not even a fourth rate person. Well, I'm glad that changed. But this comic strip, White Boy, when I was reading it, that's the only one that actually portrayed Indians. And, in, in, you know, even though there was a white protagonist in the strip, he was kind of passive. But it, I think that's why the strip, it was just too soon, you know, for what it was. But, yeah, ahead of its time. You yeah. Know? yeah. But it was beautiful. I mean, the whole first half of the strip, I thought was one of the greatest strips. I was so happy to get it. Um, anyway. Yeah. It, it was great excitement and then turned into bone crushing disappointment but I'm really happy I got the book and um, if you can find it for a reasonable price not what the company was asking I guess they had to ask a lot of money because they didn't think you were going to sell too many well I mean that's a big chunky book man I yeah. mean that's well, first off let's, it's hardcover yeah it's a hardcover book the size of the pages is what is, is that tabloid size actually uh, it's a little odd to be tabloid, but here's look at the binding. It's two the, hard covers with the spine. Yeah, stitch, with, with a spine yeah. stitch. Yeah, but it doesn't so, have um. It, it doesn't have a hard cover back. Yeah, it's clearly um a collector's piece, right? Like a casual reader isn't going to pick that up. And yeah, so it's no, this for, is definitely for a very particular. And to be honest, it can be for academic study as well, mm. because that's the type of book that you know. Yeah, well, it gets that sort of treatment. Well, this passive reader wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> You need oh, it for this study is, uh, for the podcast. Uh, there's dates, 1933 to 1936 is, is Yeah, I book. thought it was before World yeah. War II. Oh, okay. 33 okay. to 36, right on the cover. Wow, oh, right we there. can read. It really was ahead of its time then. Yeah, it was, like I said, beautifully done. And um, I just, I was going to say he was close to the material, but he changed it with no thought. And that's what they were talking about. And he changed it twice trying to save it and... Interesting. Yeah. Uh, anyway. He was trying to cater to his audience or a more mainstream audience for at the time. I guess. Yeah, but I guess he's professional enough that. How many times do you see creators working for one of the mainstream. J.M. Dematius, am I saying his name right? Dematius, Dematius. Yeah. Who's a writer I really enjoy. But he was writing Captain America in the 80s. I didn't read this run, but he was on a podcast talking about it that he was doing something pretty radical with Captain America, and finally Marvel said. No, we don't want our character doing this. And then he got kind of irate. You know, he, he left the book and was irate. Anyway, he's talking about it now, and he's kind of laughing. He said, you know, it's a character that they owned, and they wanted to protect it, and they didn't want me doing some of this wild stuff I was doing. And he says, I understand this now. I shouldn't have got so upset. You, know, you can do what you want with your own stuff, but, you know, if it's owned... And I, I think of what he said. I think Garrett Price was professional enough that he understood. I'm going to say he was close to the material, but he knew if he wanted to save this trip, he'd have to retool it. But I don't know. The next two incursions, I didn't find. I didn't find so much life in the strip. As you know, you guys hadn't even read it, and you said the same thing. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you can see it in the art. I mean, yeah. just just the art alone. There's such a shift and change. Yeah. So, you know, but. Uh, you know, unfortunately, at that time frame, those years that we're talking about, it was a paycheck. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, 
uh, we, and that was the time when uh, uh, comic strip creators were still making bank too. That was big. If, if you made it into the mainstream or made it into enough newspapers, it, yeah, if you had enough, you were newspapers. making some money. So mm. yeah, that could be another reason it was a paycheck, a big paycheck. If he was able to find a sizable mm. audience, yeah, and make yeah. it to more papers. But well, you, you got to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to eat. <laughs> yeah. But you know, nowadays, uh, like if somebody was to do something of this nature nowadays, I think it would be much more. Like what we're seeing in the in the beginning of the book, um, historically accurate. Uh, well, I don't know how historically accurate it is because I haven't mm. gotten a chance to read it. But historical accuracy, actual showing what native native uh, communities mm. were like and things like that. Um, you know, back then there was no space for those kinds of stories. Yeah. That, you know, so that's probably why it had to change in order for him to be able to keep making his paycheck. So. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think we really live in a, in a better time now where people can do a story like this and really put that information out there for people to read who are not part of those communities. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So speaking speaking of, um, of Native Americans, real quick, I just want to throw out a preview that Rook has hey, been... Gosh, trying to get me to watch um, a uh, comic film, uh, The New Mutants. And Danny Moonstar has always been one of my very favorite comic book characters, so I'm looking forward to watching that, and then hopefully in a future episode we'll be able to talk about it. Well, actually, Dallas isn't telling the truth, because he's watched 20 minutes of it. I <laughs> watched the first 20 minutes, yeah, just yeah. enough to see Danny Moonstar, which is wonderful. Yeah, it'll be fun to talk about. Um, I thought that was a series. I didn't realize it was a film. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, I think we were talking about it at, during lunch earlier today, that there, it was tumultuous, the production itself, mm-hmm. and it was kind of highly publicized that there were issues within rewrites and reshoots, and I think at the point where 20th Century Fox at that time was going through a merger, right, where mm-hmm. the, all of their properties, like the X-Men properties, were going to Disney, and I don't think Disney knew what to do with it, because yeah. allegedly you know, it wasn't that good. <laughs> you know what the origins of the New Mutants comic was? For the most part, yeah. Well, could you tell the listeners? Um, well, a lot of that was um, the popularity of the X-Men blowing up in the early yeah. 80s through to the mid-80s. And in around, I want to say, 82, the New Mutants initially appeared yeah. in one of the Marvel graphic novel-sized um, books, which at the time was rare, right? Um, there were only a couple released a year, probably. And so Marvel wanted to capitalize on the popularity of the X-Men. And... Chris Claremont, who was in charge, the the writer of Uncanny X-Men and kind of in charge of that X-Universe, didn't want any new X-Men properties to be outside of his jurisdiction, right? Like, he's like, if there's a new X-Men book coming out, I'm going to write it and I'm going to be in control. So he, uh, yeah, he ended up creating these characters along with Bob... uh, The um, name of the artist. Bob McLeod. Bob McLeod, yeah. McLeod, yeah. Um, Um, Yeah. Uh, Louise Simonson, I think she's still Louise Jones at the time, she was the editor of the X-Men books by this time. So it was basically mostly uh, Claremont and her, and then they found Bob, you know, Bob McLeod and brought him on. But, and that's all true, everything Dallas said was correct, but there's a little bit more than that. They were supposed to take over the original X-Men book when John Byrne was drawing it. In the art of John Byrne, from SQ Productions, John Byrne was in an interview and he's talking about plans. John Byrne and Chris Claremont were one of my favorite teams. And they did Marvel Team Up, they did Iron Fist, you know, and then later John Byrne came on X-Men with Dave Cockrum left. Well, it made sense because they were doing so much stuff together. 
And those books were terrific. They were neat. They were well drawn. They were neat stories. But basically, Kitty Pride came to the X-Men. And that's, you know... But what the whole plan was, is after the, the Phoenix Saga, the X-Men team would kind of unravel slowly. And they brought in Kitty. And as you remember, when she first came in, she's wearing the, the black and yellow suits that they all wore. Well, they were slowly going to start bringing in more kids. Yeah, and, I, yeah. she was kind of a gateway character for a lot of younger yeah. readers as well. And she, they ended up using her as a link between the X-Men and the New Mutants books. Right, well. but it was supposed to be the regular X-Men book. And then um, the original X-Men would be on the side. And it would just be the New Mutants would be the new X-Men. And then, of course, everybody knows John Byrne left the book. And Chris Claremont started changing everything, I guess, because... Somebody told me he was mad at the interview. I don't know if that was the case, but that's when The New Mutants became a book. Um, I think the title of the book, New Mutants, was originally a riff on Stanley's original title for the X-Men book in 63. He was going to call it The Mutants. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And at the time, people were like, um, maybe editorial said, well, people may not know what mutants are, so why don't you name it something different? And he yeah. ended up calling it X-Men. Which I thought was a better title. There was one New Mutants cover that I really liked. It was... Um, Kitty Pride, kind of like a romance cover. She's facing the reader and crying, and the New Mutants are behind her. Says, "Go away, Kitty. You don't want to be one of the the ex babies. We don't want you." Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that caught me because I thought that's what the original intention. Because John Burns said that was the joke. Everybody's saying was ex babies. Yeah, but she yeah. was supposed to be part of the team, and she was. There was the St. Kevin's drawn. There was they had a slumber party. I think well, Kitty was there. It's funny too because you say that when I was a kid. The first, my first exposure to New Mutants was like a one-page advertisement in a Marvel comic, and it mm. said, "Don't call them X babies anymore." And it was when Sinkevich first started right. drawing them, so that's where I first heard the term. Well, there was interaction between. I know sometimes when X the New Mutants came about, Kitty Pride was concerned that they were going to take her off the X Men team and put her in it. Yeah, there, there mm. was a huge during Paul Smith's run on Uncanny. Mm. Um, that was a big uh, point of contention in the story between Professor X and Kitty because mm. he wanted her to join and she didn't want to and she had to prove herself. Right. Which uh, she had already proven herself over and over again. Of course again she had. A valued but, member of the yeah. X-Men. So like downgrading her to the New Mutants, which, yes, yeah, she was a teenager. It was a teenage team. You know, it, it, like it would make sense, but like the way it was presented it was... Yeah, you're just going to be a member of this team with all the other kids. Yeah, she should have been like in charge of the kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and, and the way it happened, I remember that issue was issue 168 of Uncanny, where Kitty literally had to prove herself. The name of the issue was Professor Xavier is a jerk. It's pretty yeah. famous for anybody. Well, he in, is you know, right, but well. yeah, she she proved herself. She defeated these. Sidrian Hunter robots, which were stuck inside of the mansion. She she found Lockheed, who had stowed away on a ship. Like it was a yeah. big character. Well, arc she went through a lot, her. and that was the thing. She was um. They showed her grow with the team. You know, in the very beginning, she was scared to death of Nightcrawler. You know, and um. But when all that was happening, I remember there was one. This is when Byrne was drawing the X Men. But Wolverine came out of the danger room mad because I'm not jumping through any flaming hoops, and then Cyclops walked in. And Professor X is running the danger room, and he says, um, tell Wolverine that's going to be 15 demerits for his outburst. And Cyclops says, I don't think he could care less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Professor X is saying that that's on you, Scott. You're a bad leader. I'm going to straighten this out. Well, because that was his job, and that's how he thought. Um, you know, you could look at it that Cyclops is 
in the mud with these guys working and had been. And that was the whole thing in the X-Men. He always talked. The new X-Men were far more powerful than the original X-Men. But Scott Summers was always saying, I don't know if they're ever going to be as strong as a, a fighting force, a tactical force, as the original X-Men. That's because, and you said that in one old show, they were a tactical team. Yeah. And uh, which, which, you know, you think about it, like, here's Xavier's Mansion School for the Gifted Children. And basically, no, it's actually like a child soldier training camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, Professor X is a horrible person. Let's face it. Well, <laughs> Xavier is a bad guy, really. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about all the characters and seeing these changes that they were going through, especially Kitty, is um, it was neat to see that because the 80s, I think, were a pretty big shift in mainstream comics towards narrative, continuing narrative uh, based on the characters, right? Yeah. You saw this character mm-hmm. growth you didn't really see in mainstream comics a lot before that. It was yeah. more based on soap well, opera style stories and, and, uh, and the story itself paved the way, not the characters paving the story. And I think Claremont was a pioneering that back yeah. in the 80s yeah. for mainstream. Well, late, and, late 70s. And early yeah. 80s. And Kitty in particular, she's, she's a groundbreaking character. I mean, she's first off... Uh, if I recall, she's one of the first characters to present 100% as a Jewish yeah. Jewish faith character. Yeah. I mean, like, look at the early drawings of her. She's got the Star of David necklace on yeah. all uh-huh. the time. Yeah. You know, it's and that was just something... Intentional. Yeah, something not seen, uh, you know. Yeah. I mean, like... <clears throat> I was listening to somebody talking about um, Jewish presenting characters, and they're talking about how Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is Jewish, but just they never address the fact that he's no, Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> you know, short, but with Kitty, one hundred percent there. Yeah. You know, shortly before Kitty's introduction, sorry, uh, Will Eisner was starting to make his graphic novels, where I think a lot of that was probably based on Jewish characters because yeah. Will Eisner yeah. is Jewish. But these were graphic novels aimed towards a smaller niche market, and so to see Kitty in a huge superhero mainstream um, production. As a, as, a, as a headlining Jewish character was huge, like you said. Yeah, absolutely it was. Yeah, but they didn't make a big deal. She just was. You know, she, showed the and star that's, David, and that's yeah. it. That, yeah. That's one of the things that I liked best. Yeah. You know, nowadays, uh, that's one of the problems I have with some of the big publishing companies yeah. nowadays. It's like, look at us, we're progressive. Uh, it's yeah. like, just do it, dude. Just right. do it. You know, every time you come out and you make these grand presentations, like DC, remember how pissed I was at DC that... Uh, first off, they were like, oh, the new Green Lantern in, in what is it, Earth 2, uh, he's going to be gay. And I was like, okay, that's great. Just do it. Huh. And then in the first issue, they kill his boyfriend. <laughs> it's like, hey, we made a gay character, but his boyfriend's dead, and we're never going to talk about his sexuality again. Well, why did you make a deal of it? Why did you make him gay in the first place? Like, yeah. Why does that matter? You know, like, like with Kitty, Kitty, Kitty is, is, is Jewish, and it's it's not like it's over the t- like they made a big deal about it it's just she is yeah. she is what she is and you get it yeah well you seeing know. that I never think of Kitty as a Jewish character but when you mention that I do remember she had the star of David right and there was once in a while there was a reference so you're not shocked and yeah and Excalibur when Alan Davis was drawing it and this horrifies me but you know they were always showing alternate realities and they had Captain uh, Hopman England which is Captain Britain of Germany if if Germany, if Germany won, won the world. world. And Hopman England and um, Megan were wearing Nazi, co- which were cool, and they were kind of secondary co- you know, colors. But Nightcrawler... Was that, correct that, and, and the design was interesting, not yeah. cool. <laughs> well, I mean, but they were great designs. Yeah. And um, 
but the colors, I thought, well, this would make sense. Nightcrawler was kind of dressed like Michael Jackson, you know, but it was all military, and he was so, you know, Nightcrawler was always flamboyant, but he was German, and you could see he was acting like, Alan Davis is so good, he was acting like we're the top dogs, and then they had Kitty, and she was wearing this faded blue robe, and she had the Star of David tattooed her forehead, and she looked like a ghost of a person. Well, it's because she was Jewish. Yeah, you know? and that's and, how they would have treated her. Yeah, they, and yeah. but when you saw that, you weren't you never really think of her as you know just another character. Oh, that's right, she is Jewish, and that would be how. So, Kitty was shown that way, but she was always shown as a human being that you just yeah. there was references that you knew she was. And that's and that's where my my grudge comes in with the major publishers yeah. is you know. You, you you want to present these people as people for these characters need to be presented as people, you know. Oh, absolutely. Any, anything beyond that, as far as their sexuality, their race, their gender, their religious uh, practices, is the character. It doesn't need to be grandstanded and thrown out there like, yeah, yeah, look at us, we're so progressive, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. At, because you're not progressive when you do that, and then you erase that part of that character from the book like they yeah. did with Green Lantern. Seeing that, sometimes I think, and I, well, everything you said, I'm, I completely agree with. But sometimes it's kind of nice if there's a character that you can relate to as you. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was a thing on TV last night, um, uh, Black Panther, who is one of the most awesome characters in the world. I'm talking about when he appeared in Fantastic Four. Don, I really wish you would watch that movie. The movie is so I, good. I saw the movie. So, oh, okay, you did. I watched it on, um, I think, Netflix. Okay. Now, one, the Black Panther costume on the movie is so super awesome. Yes. Um, that was neat. I thought Wakanda and how they did all that was neat. Here's the one big problem I had with the movie was that the child lost that other guy, you know, when he challenged him. Which, I mean, no, saying that... Killmonger? Yeah, and I know in the movie what they're showing was that the child was made of really strong stuff, and he recovered from it and took it over again. But Here, hold on. Don, you've been holding that puppy for too we're, long. We're, we're, playing, we're playing guy. past we're, the Dotson. Let's pass the dog over. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um... Prince T'Challa was the kind of person I wanted to be in the comics. He was a good man. He was an interesting man. He was very noble and kind, strong and kind. And the movie was played, the guy that played him was fantastic. But Prince T'Challa wouldn't have lost. You know, I mean, I, that's the one problem I have with that movie. And like I said, they redeemed him and everything. But again, that was that was a major. That's what spoiled the movie for me. But now they got a new movie out. You know, they were doing all these tributes on the TV last night for the actor. That, I, I'm apologize. I don't remember the actor. Chadwick Boseman. Okay. Chadwick. But, Chad, um, Chadwick. Pardon me. They had uh, the guy that directed the movie was talking about it. You know how much the comics meant to him, and he said, "There's somebody like me." Um, that's important. And saying representation? That, yeah, yeah, representation yeah. is extremely important in comic books. Saying this, I'm saying this as a white man, so all the characters are white. But, you know, I grew up, I'm really tall. When you grow up tall, unless you're fortunate, you grow up, it's like Bambi on ice. You're gangly, <laughs> you don't have control of your body, your body is growing faster than you know what to do. 
And um, I was skinny as a rail all the way up to my 30s. And um, all the characters, I said this with R. Allen Brooks when he was on the show. All the characters that I liked were small characters. Felix the Cat, Mickey Mouse, you know, um, small and cute. The tall characters were always like goofy, you know, just, oh, you know. and <laughs> For example, goofy. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Wildcat. He was a cool guy, a boxer and everything else, the golden age. And he had this dorky sidekick, and he was this tall hillbilly. Well, that kind of bothers you when, one, you're already dorky, and you want something you can relate to. You know, it changed for me when Star Wars came out, Chewbacca. Chewbacca mm-hmm. was taller, everybody, and he was cool. Yeah, he was awesome. So you, you have to have some kind of representation. Sometimes it could just be eye color or your ethnic background or how you believe. So I think sometimes they're thinking there may be kids of a certain persuasion that needs a hero. And I I know it's a bad crass thing, but sometimes I think they're they might be well meaning sometimes for it, but it's just completely wrong. So, you know, I, I'm not a big fan. A friend of mine really liked the Harry Potter stuff and he was gay. And then, you remember the whole thing about Dumbledore was gay? Yeah. You know? And I'd see the headlines. I never read the stories, but I, my friend never talked about it. But that was his favorite thing was Harry Potter. And at one point, I read, the reason she said he was gay was because when they were making the movies, a lot of times, the books weren't out yet. And they were wanting to do this, and the scriptwriter was kind of upset at J.K. Rowling because, well, you can't do that. But he, she wouldn't tell him why. Well... At one point in the movies, they were wanting to give Dumbledore a love interest. And then she said, well, you can't. Why? And she just said, the books are finished. And she goes, Dumbledore's gay. She wasn't making a big announcement, although it went out to the world that way, what she was saying. And when you think about it in the stories, they never said he was. But then you think, well, yeah, I could see that. They never alluded to it. And you start realizing why he's following Grindelwald around that one wizard. Yeah, because they were... They were partners. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was because they said he was captivated by this wizard. Of course, when you're reading that, you're thinking, well, you're buddies, you know, you're friends, which could be a thing too. But my friend was upset about this, and then uh, when I said no, and I told him, oh, well, that's okay. Well, yeah, it's okay. The problem is we're living in a world that's instant news, instant this and that, and sometimes people don't read the fine print or tell you the fine print. So, anyway, I, I went way off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's pause for a minute, take a music break, and we're going to be right back.
one who could stand aside from all the lies you had inside. So proceed, motherfucker, let's keep me real. So step up for what you believe. Not to be the only one who could stand aside and all the skies would open up wide. You cannot begin to look away. So carry to your belief. Not to be the only one who could walk the line despite the sign they left behind. These motherfuckers should never get away. Don't believe what you not to be the only one who could walk the line between the light and a time when people want to live in fucking big mother. No, you never know to be. No, you never want to say. You're the subtlety of the race. Nothing but tragic memories. So say what you who could stand aside from all the pride you have inside Even your mother couldn't make you walk away So say what you mean Not to step on the one who would help you pass the time Outside the line where we're holding up the torch But we cannot keep it lit So tell us how you feel Not to be the only one who could cross the line down inside Because you don't mind Even this motherfucker cannot find the way what you say Not to be the only one Who could walk the line Between the light And a motherfucking time Where people wanna live Their own fucking way Are you You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. And that music break was Dungeon Boss. That's my band. Um, that's our third single, and you can find all of our music on any streaming site. Um, once again, they're called Dungeon Boss. There, I mean, we're on Spotify, um, Amazon Music, iTunes, all that stuff, and we're also on Bandcamp, 
um, all that good stuff. We just posted some uh, videos of our live performances on YouTube. Just look up Dungeon Boss Band. So with a lot of this music is just kind of our older stuff that we finally got around to recording. So hopefully, About bloody time. Yeah. And we're starting to work on new music now. So oh. hopefully, you know, in the next year or so after we finished after we finish releasing nine or ten songs that we've already recorded, we'll release some new stuff. That song sounded really familiar. Yeah, yeah, we've had a different iterations of that song a couple different times. But there was no cookie monster on this one. <laughs> You're not wrong. So yeah, guys, support some local music and check us out. Fun stuff. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Dungeon Boss Band on Facebook. Good cool. stuff. Cool. Okay. All right. um, Rook, what do you got, baby? Dude, it is nothing but Kickstarters over here for me. Um, I am eagerly, eagerly right now awaiting the uh, finalization of a few Kickstarters that I have been backing along with several others that uh, we actually, pretty much we've talked about everybody that um, everything that I've backed on Kickstarter, we've already talked about on the show. Um, You do a lot, which is awesome. Not enough, though. I mean, I really actually don't have that many Kickstarters that I've backed. As Um, a supporter of, you know, independent comics, though, I think you do your part, and I think it's great that you guys do this well and you know this is the thing i I was telling don about this earlier and i told him i want to talk about this on the show i'm at the point now where i am much happier backing these kickstarter uh projects um okay so like right now uh, i've just logged into my kickstart um i've got two that are waiting to finish up i've got crit caffeinated chaos bigfoot nose karate chapter Mm. two um you know, and everybody else. I mean, you're looking at like a list of uh, other projects that I've backed and that we've all talked about on the show. So um, I'm glad this doesn't have a total list of how much I've spent on here because I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all but going to good causes. It's right? all going to great causes. And you know, the other thing is, is it's going directly to the creators. So I don't care where you're funding your comics. Uh, you know, Indiegogo, Kickstarter, uh, there's various other ones out there. You know, doing it this way, I find I find the stuff that I'm reading to be more fun, more mm. interesting, and you see the passion behind the comics and the stories more than anything else. I think oftentimes we have more of a connection to a lot of these books when we're interviewing the creators as well. Uh, yes, that definitely I will say. But yeah. so even even beyond that, with the stuff that uh, that is stuff people we've not even talked to, um, it's just it's just great to see these books and these people. They're they're talkative. They're chatty. Uh, of course, that's part of this whole mm. you know self funding thing. That you want to be talking to the people, you want to be sending messages, letting them know what the what the word is, how things are going with the campaign. Sell yourself. Well, yeah, you got to sell yourself. But you know, these guys, these creators are just fantastic, and it it feels more grassroots. It feels more connection to the creators and the creations than. Going to a comic book shop and picking up a mass run, you know, book from one of the big publishing companies. Right. This, I find these stories to be more fun, more interesting. They're also not having to wade through decades of 
continuity to try and create something. These guys, these creators on here, uh, artists and writers, they're all creating their stories. That's the thing. They have something to say, and they have a unique voice to say it, and this is their uh, medium that they and can do it And this is their way them. to say it. You know, um, I can't say enough about, like, backing indie comics these days. I really can't, you know. Um, Jeff, just for an example, Dave Baker... Uh, I feel like the, I I don't think Dave Baker is sleeping right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, did you see that he finished uh, Halloween Boy three? Yeah. And Jeez. I saw on Twitter this morning Halloween Boy four has started. I don't know if he's started if he's writing it, drawing it, or if he's sending it to publication already. Well, since we've spoken, that to man him, does not sleep. Well, he also did another graphic novel with uh, Nicole. Uh, yeah, Goo? yeah. Was that um, you know? Yeah, the, Nicole. Nicole and him have done another book together as well. I mean. The, like I said, I feel like some of these people, uh, they just don't sleep, you yeah. know. Um, well, and really, there's no excuse for us either because now it's, these days, it's more easier than ever to help these people, to fund their projects and to support them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, just just take a look at, you know, uh, just for an example, I just pulled up the Caffeinated Chaos uh, crit, issue number six. Okay, the the... The part that I pledged on here, okay, I did the physical catch-up, which is, okay, this tier gets you issues 0 through 5 and a standard edition of number 6. Physical and digital, okay, also includes issue 6 mini poster, uh, and then you can add on from there. Now, just that is 30 bucks. 30 bucks, you get digital and Physical copies, mm-hmm. okay, and a mini poster. Mm. Come on, guys, you know, thirty bucks. That's and then of course I also bought twelve cans of the energy drink. <laughs> ah, yeah, you really need that. Well, you know, <laughs> like like we were talking about on the show, it's a zero sugar energy drink. Yeah. I don't do sugar. He don't do sugar. So hey, yeah. you know what? And uh, I, I'll give it a shot. Oh yeah. yeah. So you know, yeah. it's. Um, you know, so, you know, I've got a grand total of, well, I'm not going to talk about the grand total that I actually paid on all that, uh, but, yeah, you know, it's six days to go on that. Um, yeah. I've got various other, other Kickstarters that I'm looking at right now. Now, here's something that uh, a lot of people don't realize. If you follow a creator yeah. on some of these sites, these different indie, indie uh, pub uh, funding sites... You get to see the stuff they're backing as well. Yeah, yeah. So, not only do you see the creators with their projects, but you get to see what they're interested in too. And yeah. you can find some really, really cool stuff on there. Uh, Dan Price from Bigfoot Nose Karate, um, uh, along with um, but the Anishi Press, they they're ba- they back a lot of people uh, and. Uh, you know, you, Ryan Clater, you yeah. know, he's he's somebody who backs a lot of other people's projects. You know, just by following them, I'm finding a lot of other really cool stuff out there for me to get interested and read. Mm. You know, so uh, I'm just going to keep hammering, guys. Check out your indie creators. Check out what they're creating. And then follow them on these funding mm. sites because you'll get to see their friends and things that they find cool mm. backed by them. You're going to end up with a massive comic book collection of really cool, unique stuff, 
And yeah. that's I'm more interested in finding cool, unique, interesting stories at this point than yeah. I am at buying an issue of the first adi- first appearance of a particular character right. from a major publisher that theoretically could be worth thousands and then not be. <laughs> That's what I like about a lot of the people who came. One, you get to hear their story, which is always unique, and, and their energy. But I like everything that the people brought up has always been a different slant. I'm mm-hmm. saying that we've had a couple of people that have had a, a comic about Bigfoot. We've had a, a couple. We've of had people. a couple Frankenstein's. We've had a couple yeah. Bigfoots. Uh, Cowboys, Western like, kind of types, but yeah. they're they're all polar opposites of the other person on there. Even if it's the same subject. Yeah, nothing. Mm. Nothing is derivative of yeah. something else. It's it's everybody. We've got so many unique people that we've talked to yeah. lately. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. You well, know? it's kind of neat because you know you see them. Um, when I'm saying this, this is stuff I loved when I was a kid, but you'd watch TV. The Cosby Show was really big in, on NBC in the 80s. And then CBS had a show with Flip Wilson trying to do the same thing. ABC had Family Matters, you know. Yep. They were trying to do a, a family show like that. Comic books. You know, Superman was big. Then they came up with Captain Marvel, who I thought was really unique. But whenever one company has something, the other one tries to jump on with something else. Capitalize on it. And, um, you know, yeah. somebody made the... It was Lynn Wein, I heard, say that Everyone in Hollywood, uh, they're always trying to be second. <laughs> you know, they're jumping line to be second. That's a great but everybody's That's trying a great to be second. But the Kickstarter stuff, and seeing that sometimes somebody writes in and says, "Can I? Well, you know, if we got the time, we're, we'll let you come on." But um, as long as you have work to show, that's the only only guideline. But um. Uh, and, you know, I applaud you guys and other podcasts for giving a forum to a lot yeah. of these creators to be able to come out because I know you guys have been working hard um, just doing interview after interview. So it is also yeah. kind of refreshing to be able to just sit back and talk shop with you guys. But um, it's great that you guys are giving everybody an opportunity, all these creators, yeah. an opportunity to get their work out there. Well, one thing, this show was basically us hanging out talking. If you've listened to this a long time, you know what the show is. But we've had a lot of people come on, and it's nice to talk to them. Uh, Rook was the one who said, look, these people have Kickstarters, so we started doing a weekly just to make sure it's a timely manner. But Yeah, man, and as the producer, man, it's, I'm like, oh, i got to get these out. Oh, uh, no. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Thrown at me. It's, like, hey, Dallas, we got five episodes for you to get yeah, uh, edited yeah. and done. <laughs> a job and a kid in yeah. school. I don't yeah. need that stuff. What are you talking about? But, um, <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we don't want to hear about your personal life. Get the get the show done. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I've lost my point again. Um, <laughs> Just how Rook pointed out all these Kickstarters yeah. and we need to kind of get well, the word out. Right? One thing, though, when Rook is doing this, he's jumping in and, and supporting these Kickstarters. There was a book. We didn't have them on the show, but my buddy Britt and I talked about it. It was uh, Heretics by Dorian Alexander and Jeremy Robb. I think it's how you pronounce it. I apologize if we're wrong. He sent us the first issue and... I absolutely love this book. It was a, a regular comic. It was about two two magicians, wizards, whatever you call it. But um, they're basically, I guess, from different worlds, different dimensions. They're meeting up in this one plane of existence. And the whole story was basically they found a, a, a cactus, a pot of cactus that they could put in the corner of this love nest that they created for each other. Well, that's one that's something people do. <laughs> it sounds mundane, but 
I'll tell you, looking at this, it made me want to get out a sketchbook and draw monsters, you know, creatures and stuff. I love the art style. The story kept me interested. And, um, I really wanted to buy this comic. But, um, but cheapskate as I am, I keep going on to look if they have a second issue because I don't want to just buy one and pay all the postage. Ideally, what I like to do is just buy the trade. You know, um, but they got the one issue. They have a Patreon, so if you're unlike me, you can join the Patreon, see the pages that come out, which I've only read these digitally, and I absolutely love this book. I am going to get it whenever it, it's available. Um, it was great. It was funny. But I'm not like Rook. I don't jump in and, and support people. I'm sorry. I support you spiritually. But, um... Some of these books, if I saw them in the store, I would have snagged them. Uh, I actually have snagged some that I've seen in the store. Um, some of them I'm looking for, and if you have to find one in the store, but, you know. Um, mine, mine is just, I want more bang for my buck. I, I want the comic, I don't want extra stuff, you know. The stickers and the shirts, no, that's fine. I like that kind of stuff, but... I've got one little room I keep all this stuff in and it's burst into the gills. And oh, some, dude. My, you know, I, I, look, you know. look, at, look at the pile of books on top of the long <laughs> box. If you go into the actual room where the, where the filing cabinets for the comics are stored, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> it's, a, it's a friggin' embarrassment. I've got one drawer that's full of things that need to be put away. And then the the space above that is just stacked with comics that I have not put away or even put into the drawer that designates these need to be put away. I am overflowed, okay? Right. And it's the greatest feeling in the world, yeah. Yeah. and also the most stressful. Just the love of this medium, though, I know. we've all got. I know. Well, our friend Scott Connor, I met him in person a few years ago. I went up to Virginia, and I gave him a couple of the little buttons we have, the little tiny one-inch buttons. Usually people squeal like a little girl when they get them, which is nice. I gave him a scot. Oh, God. It's a reaction. <laughs> it's like more yeah. stuff. Oh, man. i got to figure out where I'm putting these. And he's always talking about, sometimes I tell him, oh, I don't got any space. You know, you like, just leave me alone. But then <laughs> something will come up, and I said, well, I thought you were out of space. Well, I'll make room for this. Well, yeah. But I understand that. But, you know, I went to the store one day, and I, I came back with a book. Um... And my wife got really upset at me. What is the book? You have so many books. And later my daughter heard about this. She goes, but Dad reads them all. Well, yeah, I read them all. Now, if I can get it at the library, I will. But it's nice having books. You know, mm -hmm. I like them. But it just gets to the point, you know, when you're younger, it's like you're trying, you got space, you're trying to fill it up. And all of a sudden, well, where am I going to put this? And then sometimes you want to read it, but you got 50 piles of books on top of the boxes and I don't know where anything is so but now Kickstarter is great it's unique and I, I like the diversity I like all the excitement saying that I still like to go to the comic store and, and get mainstream books and I want to say this most of the books I get which I can't believe are image books and I love them all they're kind of mainstream now I guess yeah, images. I don't know. Some of the stuff images put out is just kind of bleh, you know. All right. Well, Rook, I love you, but I am calling you out, buddy. Oh, 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 uh oh, uh oh, uh oh! You're gonna bust out an image book and be like, "Oh yeah, what do you think of this? So this is awesome." Pulling from his big pile of books that he brought today. Yeah, 
Oh. Don's stack of books he brought today is almost as tall as him. <laughs> All right. I went to the This man is 6'4". I went up 6'6". Oh, my bad. You always say that. <laughs> he barely um, fits in my house. <laughs> I, um... I was the comic store picking up my books. I always go through the rack and I... I saw... I saw this. What is... Uh, Eight Billion Genies. Eight Billion Genies. By Charles Soleil and Ryan Brown. Again, if I'm saying it wrong. Okay, this adorable cover. The I, cover I, caught I, me. No, these are in bags of boards, so I can't read them. I, what caught me is this, the first issue Rook has and the fourth issue. Are the, the same, same cover. The, same well, cover. the brown's a little darker. Yeah, the was, gradients. The gradients a little bit higher yeah. uh, on the on the fourth issue. But two and three, the characters a little bit different. Anyway, I picked it up and kind of looked at it and put it back. And the lady at the store said, that's a really good series she's been reading. And they had multiple copies. I guess the store is really supporting it. So I bought the first issue. Again, the cover caught me. I wasn't sure what it'd be like. This story, it starts in the bar. Different people are in the bar. And all of a sudden, these genies appear. Everybody has a genie, and they give you one wish. Anything you want. And, of course, some people wish for certain things. The bartender, he asked a couple of questions, and the first thing he said was, I want the bar, the perimeter, and everyone in it to be unaffected by this. And he said, that's a good wish. Kind of find out the guy's a survivalist. He's been around, so he's got stockpiles of food, medical supplies, all kinds of stuff in the back. So these people live in the bar. You go outside and look, and they got... Godzilla running around. They got giant monsters, spaceships, yeah. pirates. Yeah, this yeah. two-page spread. Guy with a monster truck. Guy with this exosuit. Like, uh, it's total chaos. And that's uh, what Rook says an understatement because you're horrified by what these people are wishing for. And some people, they're selfish wishes. So I thought, okay. So I went back and I bought two and three. And uh, it has a, it has to stop being good. And then. They talk about what the people wish for. And then um, I've got the fifth issue at home I just finished last night. And basically the first four issues are one arc. It's a, it's a series of eight issues. And after the fourth issue, the guy basically said that you're going to see a difference now because there's a different thought. The first people were just selfish wishes. For the most part, some of them had good wishes. Now you can see long-term thinkers, which is kind of something that they talk about in the world we live in, that people aren't thinking long-term. And it is different. It's not perfect. It's different. But I'll tell you, this thing, um, I've never read anything like this before. And um, so, yeah, Image does good stuff, you know. Image does do good stuff, but this kind of stuff doesn't get publicized enough, I think. Well, I agree. Because Image has a number of high-profile creators Mm -hmm. that are constantly kind of banging out new stories, and so I'm sure Image, they're pushing those guys. Yeah. Uh, Out of the major publishing companies, which I consider that the the big three is DC, Marvel, Image. Mm -hmm. Out of those three, Image does the best to do more of an indie style, different, 
But then you get into the other publishers like um, uh, what Devil Do, Boom, um, stuff like that. IDW. IDW, you know. Dark Horse. Dark Horse, yeah. All of those guys, they do more real indie indie kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then you have this beautiful independent underground comic scene of the self-publishers. Yeah, and that's what I love is... It's all unique. It's personal, which I've always appreciated. And saying that, I've seen people do personal work. And I'm, I'm talking before this. This has all happened with Kickstarter. But they said, "Well, this is too personal. It won't have a main mainstream audience." Um, but that is true. Sometimes if it's really personal, it won't reach a massive thing. But I don't know. I mean, it seemed like people are doing quite well on it. Some yeah. of the people we had. Um, and one thing, I've had some people come want to come on, which will be on later, but they're Kickstarters, you know, sometimes it's not going the way you want. And we've had a lot of guests on that talk about, I think um, a couple episodes ago, the guy who had a Kickstarter didn't do well, and he came back and did it at a different time, which we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things which I've learned talking to people. Um, how Kickstarter works and how you have to keep the interest up and keep people going, um, cross pollinate. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of yeah. you know personal works always had their space, and even yeah. preceding Kickstarter, there were there were a lot of breakthroughs. There was there's been tons yeah. released, but you know even big breakthroughs from what 10, 15 years ago, like all the Allison Bechtel stuff, and even yeah. like the that book Persepolis about the Iranian girl, and yeah. even way before that, Mouse, right? Yeah. Like, nah. all that stuff is very important in the history of yeah. the medium, and it's still, it's it, well, even though it's a very small niche market, probably, yeah. look how big something like Mouse is. Everybody who's read a comic book probably Persepolis, knows what that I think is. got really big, and Persepolis too. Well, too. and Mouse just hit headlines again as, school, as public schools tried to ban it. Right. Which yeah. is yeah. absolutely atrocious to yeah. me. Of course it is. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I understand, but at the same time, the book's not banned. You can get the book. Yeah, you, you can know, get the book. It's just the school libraries. At, at, at the school yeah. libraries, they want it. They want uh-huh. it out. But mouse, mouse is a story that I, yeah. that I think should be read. Absolutely. I, I uh, just like um, I remember in high school, we had to read that book, Night by Eli Weisel, which was yeah. about um, concentration camps, if yeah. I recall, right? Yeah. And you know, it with mouse, I I think that when you put this kind of stuff into a comic book form into a graphic novel, it can be easier for some people to go through it and read it. And digest it. And digest <laughs> it. <laughs> and then you can explain that this is not fake. This is real. This crap mm. happened. Absolutely. You know, you know, a number of years ago, there was a, a few good books about the civil rights movement. Oh, yeah. And those are, those are the kind of books that should be in school media centers. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just take a look at uh, what Sergio uh, uh, Corella did with the Loaded Action Bible, mm. you know, um, which he's he's local right here. If I recall right, he lives just up uh, uh, north of me. Um, you know, he took the Bible stories and made them into comic books. You know, now whether wherever you fall in your religious preference, I don't I don't care to have that presented in that form is more accessible for some mm-hmm. people, yeah. you know? Yep. And I think that's a wonderful thing. History 
and and these things need to be preserved in a way. And if comic books is the way, and I've talked to plenty of teachers that believe that comic books, graphic novels, is a great way to present historical information in a dynamic way for people to learn. And you know, I that, mean, remember the cartoon history of the universe from the seventies uh, or eighties? Like when 80s. I was a kid, yeah. Well, it was the seventies. They finished in the. And I used to love that, and that was I literally learned yeah. a lot about history through those books, yeah. and that was not through school. It was on my own time, enjoying right, reading those because yeah. they were comics, and I'm learning some very important historical events. Yeah, you know, Jackie Onassis was the editor of that series. That's awesome. Because it started out, it was an underground comic book with, um, I think, Rip Off Press. And um, that's how I read them, all the way up to '92 mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. I found the comic in '92, and I was wanting to find some more. And then I started finding them in a uh, Borders, Barnes and Noble, and all that. But they were the big volumes, the trades. And uh, but Jackie Onassis was his his editor until she died. And they got somebody else, but she was um, a strong supporter of the project. That's and um. Like I said, it started out as a black and white underground comic, but it turned into five incredible volumes that basically told the whole story all the way up to the the Gulf War. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, when he's doing the Gulf War, he's starting to complain. He says, all right, and he's, the character stepped back. The narrator says, I've gotten too close to history. He says, it's time to stop. Which, you know, basically he was current. He was up to it. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a... I, as a matter of fact, I have the series on my reading list. That's uh, highly recommended. And Mouse, all that stuff is too. That's the thing. Mouse, I bought to read because I wanted to. I think you did as well. And um, yeah, I think we're all big fans. At least you yeah. and I are huge fans of Arts Viegelman. Yeah, but that's the stuff's available. You know, it, we're talking about diversity. Brian Clater mentioned Raina Talgemeier. And Scott um, Scott Connor was on the show, and he mentioned that she was, I guess, the number one selling cartoonist around. Mm-hmm. I've never read her work. Um, I've looked her up. You know, she's sold in bookstores. Um, I guess I'd say it was for middle school students, you know, comics for like that. But it's, I've picked up some of these books in stores, um, and my daughter reads some. Not not Raina Talgemeier, but other creators from First Second Publishing. There's this whole massive world of comics that aren't sold in comic shops. You know, they're sold in bookstores and I'm guessing um, possibly schools. And they are comics. Um, the ones Holly had, I've talked about on the show. She loves them, but they're... I always say this, they're drawn in a different style. It's a style I like, but it's um, kind of a cartoony style, but it's not based off manga or... It's, it's a school. It's a school kind of... A house style, but not for any one publisher. And um, but like I said, it's strange that Raina Talgemeier sells better than anybody, and I've never seen seen her stuff. So. Well, there's so many creators out there, you know, and that's that's one of the best things about this, you know, that there's so many creators. There's all these new creators, and you know, I'm I'm happy to sit down and talk to any of them yeah me too me too too bad dallas doesn't want to (laughs) (laughs) i don't like people Uh, i will say ryan clater was really disappointed that you weren't going to be on the show and i explained why and he understood because 
Well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, all right. Well, it's about time. Anyway, everybody, thanks for listening. If you like to draw, we're always looking for comic book covers to use to announce each episode on the... I'm forgetting everything I'm saying. For the Facebook page and the Facebook group. Um, just send you? something in. Nobody thinks they're good. I always bring this up. We always enjoy them. People enjoy these things. and uh, We can't pay you for it because we have no money. But yeah, we do this for free. Yeah. <laughs> If you'll allow us to, we'll add it to the cover gallery of the blog. You know, again, it's fun. People people like to see these. If you're any kind of musician, singer, performance artist, if you can record it, we'd like to play it for your music break. Uh, another time we don't have a music break is we have a creator on the show. And we have t-shirts. If you're interested, you can find them on the sidebar of the blog under merchandise. Um, where it's not to make us rich. It's just to help us pay hosting fees. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Everybody go to bunchofdorks.com, click on that Cyclops, you can find everything we've talked about, and much, much more. But until next time, read more comics! comics.